Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Etzheim, tree of life. Thank you for being here this morning. I want to thank everyone in the Torah service for how y'all serve each, each Shabbat. I want to thank everyone in the music team for your beautiful songs. There's life in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Today, we're going to be discussing an important conversation between Yeshua and his disciples right before his death. You see, the setting is Jerusalem, and they are at the dinner table. And there's an important conversation that takes place. In John 14:8, Philip says, Lord, show us a father, and that will be enough for us. So I have a question for each of you in the audience. What if the father were to show himself right now? What do you picture him? What does he look like? Think of the first picture that comes to your mind. Well, when I did this exercise, the first picture that came to my mind were the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. I was born in Colorado. Uh, I love it. Uh, We get to do some road trips there growing up. And... For me, nothing shows God's magnificence and beauty like these mountains do. The second thing that came to my mind was a judge. To be honest with you, an angry judge. Next slide. I have another question for you. What if the father were to show himself right now? What are three words you would use to describe him? Three words that came to my mind, mighty, true, steadfast. Now, as we go through this talk today, I want you to remember this picture that you have in your mind and remember these words that you use to describe the Father. You can open up your Bibles to John 14. This is the passage we'll be studying today. And it goes like this. Yeshua says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Yeshua answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Yeshua answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? These words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his good work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he's living with you now and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. See, in John 14, there's an important conversation that is taking place between Yeshua and his disciples. I want you to picture yourselves there. You have followed Yeshua around on his mission up until this point. You've witnessed many of his works. Yeshua has caused the blind to see in front of you. He has risen the dead to life in front of you. Indeed, he has lived in much of the life he has come to live at this point. You are sitting there at that table with Yeshua and his disciples. And then Yeshua says, he only has a little longer with you. He, he says Judas, his own disciple, is going to betray him, at which Judas gets up from the table and leaves. Peter affirms Yeshua, saying, I would lay down my life for you. But Yeshua says that you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. You can imagine the atmosphere of this room. There's almost a worry, almost an anxiousness of what is to come. You see, here is the thing about belief. It is really easy to believe in Yeshua until it isn't. It is really easy to see God's big picture until something really important that needs to be dealt with today comes up. It is really easy for me to say that I believe in commercial planes and I have no fear of flying until I'm bouncing up and down like a basketball on a Spirit Airlines flight. <laughs> it is really easy to see the sun until the clouds of life cover it. But you must believe that the sun is still there. It is in moments like these at the Last Supper when the disciples' leader says he's going to die soon and then he says that some of you are going to betray him that belief is the hardest. It is in moments like these when our emotions overtake us that we must have the word of God written on our hearts. You see, this moment was prophesied hundreds of years earlier. Isaiah 53, 5 says, For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The embrace of a father. Yeshua goes on to talk about his father's house, saying, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you, to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. This is good news. This gives me hope. Yeshua is going before us to prepare a place for us. And his father's house has many rooms. Room enough for the rich and the poor. Room enough for the healthy and the sick. Room enough for people of every race, every tribe, every tongue. The father is there and he's waiting for his beloved children to come to him. Yeshua is the way. At this response, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Yeshua answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, 
you do know him and have seen him. Three points here. Point number one, it's our predicament. We are a people once in relationship with God, cut off from our creator by sin. Point two, our creator desperately and longs for a relationship with us. He paid a price for us. And point number three, we are redeemed to be a light to the lost. As I think of Yeshua the way, I think of a caving tour my family once went on. My family, as many of you know, are pretty adventurous, go on a lot of adventures. And they, somehow they found this guy who lives in Arkansas who gives cave tours. So out of his backyard. Um, so, you know, we show up, he gives us the equipment, leads us into the cave, leads us out, and then gives us a shower afterwards. It's a good enough deal. Well, I had no idea what I'd signed up for. Uh, this tour took us what felt like miles underground. And it was so dark that you literally could not see an inch to your right or to your left, but only what was illuminated by the flashlight. There were sections we had to army crawl through with the weight of the world just crushing in on me from every side. If you're claustrophobic, I do not recommend. There are sections we had to climb up vertically through. There was one rock ledge I remember in particular where we literally had to shuffle 10 yards on a ledge about that narrow, held up mostly by pressing ourselves against an opposite facing rock. The tour guide assured us that the drop was only 20 feet or so. As you can imagine, I began to question the character and intentions of this man. He indeed held a lot of power over us. Well, it turns out this man may have sensed these feelings. So a few minutes later, when we get to a, a large room, he asked us all to turn off our flashlights, which sounded cool. So we all turn off our flashlights, and we just sit there for a few minutes, embracing the dark, the cool, damp air. Well, after a few minutes, I begin to wonder, is our tour guide still here? So we call out to him, we call out his name, to which there is no response. Again, we call out his name, and again, no reply. For all I knew, our tour guide had already found his way out of the cave, was enjoying a hot shower, patting himself on the back for being such a great serial killer. <laughs> but thankfully, it was a prank, and the tour guide showed up again, leading us to a freezing underground river, which led us out of the cave. You see, this, this whole experience inside and out of this cave, this was quite an ordeal. And as it turns out, pre-Yeshua, the way to the Father's house was also quite the ordeal. God's presence in the Holy of Holies was not something you could just walk into. Only the high priest could enter, and that was once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And this was only after bathing, putting on special garments, and making many sacrifices for the cleansing of sins. But God did not intend for it to be such an ordeal to enter his presence. You see, there's a time that God dwelled and walked hand in hand with mankind in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 1.27 says, For God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, Adam and Eve walked hand in hand with God. They would literally go on walks and talk with him face to face. But then, sin unto the world. You see, when they disobeyed God's voice, when they obeyed the voice of the devil, Satan, sin entered, and we lost this relationship. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2 says, 
Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ears too dull to hear. But your sins have separated you from your God. Your iniquities have hidden his face from you, so that you will not hear. You see, our sins create a wall between us and God. So what is sin? God's first written law unto man, the Ten Commandments, lists some sins in Exodus. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not make and worship idols. Do not say the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do no work. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not envy. When Yeshua came down, he clarified that sin begins in the heart. He says, anyone who has looked upon a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in their heart. Anyone who has looked at a brother in anger is already a murderer in their heart. I know that I am guilty of these things. I'm a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. So what do we do about this, this broken relationship? Well, the good news is that God longs for a relationship with his children. He longs to be reunited with them. In Romans 5.8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. And he rose again, and he reigns on the throne with God today. Yeshua is alive. Through Yeshua's death, we are redeemed, we are paid for, we are bought. We have been saved by grace. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is good news. I want you to picture that courtroom on Judgment Day. A room full of sinners, like me, like you, one to the next. But some of these sinners have a red tint. They are covered in the blood of Yeshua. And therefore, they are covered in his righteousness. These will be allowed entry into the kingdom of heaven. But anyone else, no matter how good of a person you are, no matter how kind you are, we love kindness, no matter how many people you fed, you will be denied entry into the kingdom. Indeed, Yeshua is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Now, as I say this, I think back to that caving tour, to that moment in that room, surrounded by darkness, when we called out to our tour guide's voice and heard nothing in response. That moment sticks out to me to this day. Indeed, many of us, many of our friends and our family are in the exact same situation. We are in a room surrounded by darkness, crying out for help and many hearing nothing in response, trying to find hope in hopeless endeavors. You see, this is a very sad thing. So let us all be a tour guide in our own respect. Let us show these people the light. Let us show our friends and our family the way. Amen. Yeshua is the truth. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Yeshua answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? These words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his good work. Point number one. Yeshua is one with the Father. Yeshua is God. Point number two. Yeshua is the only way to the Father. Heaven and hell are real places, and relativism is a lie. I wrote a story to emphasize this first point, and it goes like this. There was once a humble peasant named Abba who bore a child named Olaf. Sadly, Olaf's mother died during the birth. Abba loved his son Olaf dearly and spent the whole night in the hospital with him. That morning, the wicked queen of the kingdom happened to be inspecting the local hospital, and Olaf caught her eye. As soon as she held him, she knew she wanted him as her own son. So the king and the queen adopted Olaf. Well, a few years later, they figured out that Olaf had a disability, and being wicked, they lost interest in him. And they kicked him out to the servants' quarters. Thankfully, Abba, his real father, had followed Olaf. Now, Olaf thought of Abba as a friend, but did not realize he was his father. Olaf, uh, when Olaf needed a ride to the local academy, Abba was there to give his son a ride. When Olaf got sick, Abba was by his side, tending to his son. When Olaf needed advice, Abba was by his side, giving his son wisdom. Time and time again, Olaf tried to make a connection with the king and the queen, who he thought were his parents. But time and time again, they refused to see him. As Olaf became a young man, his sadness began to overtake him. And he turned to Abba, crying out, Abba, what I would do to have a father who cared for me, what I would do to hear my father's voice, what I would give for one moment with my father. In a fit of rage, Olaf stormed out of the room, ran to the royal quarters and graffitied the walls, and stole some royal cakes. Now, one of the guards caught Olaf in this act and handed him over to the jailer to be put to death the next day. But that night, Olaf got some unexpected news. Someone else had turned themselves in for the crime. The next day, there at the gallows stood Abba in Olaf's place. Olaf ran up to the front, and he, looking at Abba in the cry, said, Abba, why would you take my place? Abba looked his son in the eyes and spoke to him, saying, Olaf, I'm your father, and I love you enough to die for you. At that moment, Olaf's eyes were opened. Looking his father in the eyes, he said, I'm a fool. I was seeking after my father's face, and yet you were there the whole time. I longed for a relationship with my father, and yet you were right by my side. Like Olaf, Philip is desperate to see his father. He just wants to see his heaven dad. Nothing more. Philip asks Yeshua to show him the father, and that will be enough for him. But Philip does not understand something fundamental to our faith. When he sees Yeshua, he sees the father. It is true that Yeshua and the Father are two distinct persons. In John 5, 19, Yeshua has a reply to the Pharisees who are mad at him as he calls God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself, but only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, 
the son also does. Yeshua models obedience in this verse and talks to his father throughout the Bible in an intimate relationship, two separate persons. It is also true Yeshua loved us enough to come down to earth in a human body, fully in touch with the reality of living as a human. Philippians 2, 6 through 7 says, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. At the same time, Yeshua is one with the Father, forgiving sins on his own authority and raising the dead to life. Only God has power to raise the dead. John 1.18 clearly states, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. In Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And then, in John 8.58, in a response to the Pharisees questioning Yeshua on how he has seen Abraham, which he had said earlier, Yeshua says, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Yeshua hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. To deny Yeshua's deity is to deny the word of God. To me, the Messianic movement is one whose mission is to reveal Yeshua as a Messiah, as God come down to earth to save a sinner like me, to the Jewish people, to my people. There are many among my people who strive so hard to see their father, yet like Olaf, miss him altogether. When I was 16 years old, my family uh, took us to Israel. This was an amazing trip. It was my first time in Israel. We have some pictures here. We uh, hiked up and down Masada. We got to go on a worship boat on the Sea of Galilee, which is beautiful. We got to float on our backs in the Dead Sea. Probably drank a lot of salt. My sodium content's probably way high after that. Um, Of course, we went to the old city. Um, And there we actually stayed in an ultra-Orthodox community where they had a rule about driving on Shabbat as they saw it as work. So one Friday, as, you know, we're coming home from our day's activities, uh, of course, if you know my family, we always run late. And we're actually coming back after sundown, so Shabbat had started. So everyone in the community is walking out to their synagogue uh, service as my family is driving in. As you can imagine, that was awkward. Very awkward. My, uh, my highlight of this trip was Hezekiah's tunnel. This thing is amazing. In 700 BC, as the Assyrian armies approached Jerusalem, King Hezekiah had his men carve a 1,750-foot tunnel through, through straight rock, just straight through it, to connect them to the spring of Gahon. This supplied water to the city as the Assyrians had cut them off from all around them and were sieging them. God struck down the Assyrians outside of Jerusalem on that amazing day. There are a few times I remember, as my family and I walked through Jerusalem, being pulled aside by Orthodox men to do tefillin, where you take the commandments in a little box, and you put it on your head, and you bind it around your arms to fulfill the Deuteronomy passage. Once, after being prayed over by an Orthodox man on the street in Hebrew, it was mentioned that we are followers of Yeshua. At his name, this man's whole demeanor changed, and he said Yeshua's name before spitting on the ground. I feel sad for the Jewish people, my people. 
Many try hard to follow the ways of God and dedicate themselves to the Lord. Many search diligently for the Father and yet fail to find him. Many live as secular humanists. Either way, they are missing the point, the bread of life, the only way to the Father. They are missing Yeshua's sacrifice and therefore they are missing the mark. But this trip to Israel was encouraging for me to keep my Jewish identity here in America. The modern state of Israel is testament to God still having plans for the Jewish people. Amen? It is a complete miracle. Everything about their creation is a complete miracle. Every single battle that they should have lost and yet they won, completely miraculous. If you want to learn about the modern state of Israel, I would highly recommend a book named A Young Person's History of Israel by David Bamberger. You see, God will not forget his bride, his chosen people. He will bring them back to him. There will be a day they proclaim Yeshua as a Messiah. As my coworker once said, if God forgets his plans for the Jewish people, what hope do any of us have, Jew or Gentile? If God does not keep his promises, we are all doomed. Let the Messianic mission be to see the Jewish people saved. Amen. It is important to note the fact that Yeshua is God, who came down to earth on a man's body to save us from our sins is not only truth, it is the only truth. In our increasingly relativistic society, where everyone is allowed to have their own morality, their own way to the Father, it is a controversial statement to say that Yeshua is the only way. I'm a student at UT Dallas, where we have an incredibly diverse student body. Some of you here would know that. And they have many different beliefs. There have been many times I've had conversations with friends of Muslim or Hindu faith uh, discussing faith. And when they hear my beliefs, oftentimes they will just give me a nod and then reply with what their belief is, their way to the Father. Often there's no real urgency in the conversation. John 14.6 says, Yeshua is the way and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. This is heaven and hell on the line. The fact that my campus is attended by sinners who are damned to hell apart from the saving work of Yeshua is not merely another idea floating around on a college campus. Yeshua is the only way to the Father. And it is vital that we communicate this in a world that asks us to be accepting of everything. Amen? Yeshua is the life. Believe me when I say, Yeshua says, that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask for in my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. My first point here, Yeshua calls us to the works he is doing and ultimately to lay down our lives. Our motivation is our love for Yeshua. And the strength is that Yeshua wants a relationship, calling us to prayer and giving us the Spirit as a helper. 
So we've established Yeshua is the only way to the Father. We've established that he is a truth and the fundamental truth that Yeshua is God. Now, how do these things impact our lives? Yeshua says, whoever believes in him will do the works he's been doing, and they will do even greater things than him because he's going to the Father. So what are the works Yeshua did? How can we follow his example? When Yeshua says that he is the way and the truth and the life, how can we make him our lives? Here's the answer, to lay down our lives for him. You see, the ultimate work that Yeshua gave us on this earth was dying for our sins. And he asks us to follow his example. In Matthew 16, 24 through 27, Yeshua says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very soul? For what can anyone give in exchange for a soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. When I think of laying down our lives for Yeshua, a story comes to mind. There was an Indian evangelist named Praman Gulab Job, sometimes referred to as the Billy Graham of India, who died about a decade ago. In his book, Why God, Why?, He speaks of a revival that occurred in Wales in the early 1800s. You can go to the previous slide, please. You see, this was a time that sent a lot of Welsh missionaries to India as there was a great revival in Wales. And uh, around the mid-1800s, there was a man in the tribe of Gero named Noksing who became a follower of Yeshua along with his whole family. In P. Job's book, he details the response of the tribe upon hearing of this man's conversion and the incredible story that follows. It goes like this. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man sung his reply, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith? You have lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. The man replied, again, singing, Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. The chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down. And in a moment, she joined her two children in death. Now he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. In the face of death, the man saying, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with the deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was moved by the faith of the man. And in spontaneous confession of faith, declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. When the crowd heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is where the song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus, is inspired from. And this story adds a lot more context and meaning to these words. Sing with me if you know it. I have decided to follow Yeshua. I have decided 
to follow Yeshua. I have decided to follow Yeshua. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Beautiful. Praise God. So Yeshua asks us to lay down our lives for him, to make him our life. To live is Messiah, and to die is gain. Yeshua conquered death, death in the grave. So, as believers, we do not fear death. The story of this man, Noxane, gives me some perspective. It makes me ask, ask myself some questions. As a believer in America, where we have near-complete freedom of religion, is there something that I am missing out on that a man like Noxane understands? Is there something that the Nigerian Christians understand that I do not According to a report put out by InterSociety, a Nigerian NGO, these harrowing statistics of the reality of Nigeria. Since 2009, over 52,250 Christians and 34,000 moderate Muslims have been murdered. 14 million Christians have been uprooted and forced to flee. Since 2015, 18,000 Christian churches and 2,200 Christian schools have been attacked. Just January to October of 22, over 2,315 Christians were abducted. This Christmas Eve and Christmas alone, 200 Christians were murdered and 15,000 left without homes. There are two perpetrators of these attacks. One is the Fulani herdsmen, a farming population with jihadist intentions. Another is Boko Haram, a group established around 2002 with the goal of overthrowing uh, Western education. They now have a charter of overthrowing the Nigerian government and instituting Sharia law across Nigeria. These groups will often raid poor Christian villages, massacring Christians, burning down buildings, raping, and often kidnapping children. Each and every one of the over 52,500 Christians murdered since 2009 have a name and a story. The one thing they have in common is that they decided to follow Yeshua and they paid for that decision with their lives. So where do we find the motivation to make Yeshua our life? How can we stand up boldly and live a life of calling, regardless of the persecution we face? 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. In John 14.15, Yeshua says, If you love me, keep my commands. And then, in Matthew 22, when the Pharisees ask Yeshua, What is the greatest commandment in the law? Yeshua replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second 
is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. How could all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments? Because if we truly love Yeshua, we will keep his commands. Notice the order here. Yeshua does not say, if you keep my commands, you love me. He states, if you love me, keep my commands. We must be deeply in love with our Messiah in order to live the life he's called us to. I can only imagine the love that some of these Christians, our brothers around the world, and Messianic brothers, have for Yeshua to stand up so boldly in the face of persecution, to risk their lives just to hold house studies and home groups. They must be deeply in love with Yeshua to make them their lives. Let us follow their example. Finally, where do we find the strength to walk in the works Yeshua did? Yeshua wants a relationship. He's calling us to prayer, and he gives us the spirit as a helper. You see, Yeshua says that it is the Father living in him. And in John 5, he says he can only do what he sees the Father doing. Yeshua talks to his Father continually throughout the New Testament, withdrawing to quiet places. We can have the same relationship with Yeshua, walking in continual prayer. And it is not necessarily that we have to pray a certain way or there's a certain, certain formula. God will honor the fact that in our most distressing situations, we stop and we look up to God and we ask him for his help, for his wisdom, for his guidance. Secondly, the end of this passage is really interesting. Yeshua says he will ask the Father and he will give us another advocate to help us and be with us forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You see, multiple times throughout this passage we're covering today, Yeshua says that he is in the Father and that the Father is in him. He lives in this constant oneness and relationship with his Father. Now he says that the spirit of truth is with them and will be in them. Yeshua is talking about himself, the spirit of truth, who is with them now. And then when he says the spirit of truth will be in them, he's prophesying Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on the first believers. Now, this is good news. As the Father is in Yeshua, we have the spirit in us. And just as Yeshua was with the disciples, we have the Holy Spirit with us to walk with us and talk with us. You know, think about the Holy Spirit. The only thing in the whole world with the power to change our hearts is the Holy Spirit. So we must praise God for him. As we digest this high calling Yeshua has for us through the Holy Spirit, let us remember Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in the Messiah Yeshua to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen? The fact that we are called to live a life after Yeshua starts with God's grace, and it is only through his undeserved favor that we can live a life with calling. We are going to miss the mark, so we must remember that his grace is sufficient, and the only righteousness we have is Yeshua's righteousness. Amen? In conclusion... Remember as we go into an election year and with all the chaos all around the world that our hope should be in Yeshua in terms of making new creations out of broken men, 
not any man who claims to make new nations out of broken ones. No politician is the way, the truth, and the life. No financial security is the way, the truth, and the life. If we have Yeshua, we have the way, the truth, and the life, regardless of anything else. And if we don't have him, we don't have the way, the truth, and the life, regardless of how good of a person you are or how correct you are on things. Remember to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. When people see you, what is their impression? Our impression should be one that points them to Yeshua and all of his goodness. What do people see when they walk into our synagogue? If they are compelled to out-Jew one another, is this a spirit of legalism? In closing, I pose this question to you. If you truly believe that Yeshua is the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, how would this change the life that you live today? Do people know you for your Yeshua faith? for your deep and intimate relationship with him? Are you one who shows the light of the world around you? Are you known for your Jewishness or for your Yeshuishness? When you he- <laughs> what would it look like to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow Yeshua in my context, in my situation? If we have strong beliefs and opinions, what are they grounded in? If we are going to stand up for something, stand out of the crowd for something, go against the grain for something, is it going to be an online theory that we love to sing? Or is it going to be our firm belief in Yeshua? Is it going to be the reality of the necessity to believe in him to come to the Father? So why not stand up in a hopeless world and say with one loud voice, I have decided to follow Yeshua. Let me close with John 14, 6, when Yeshua says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let us pray. Yeshua, our Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for this congregation. These people are zealous for you, Lord. Thank you for all the ways they've shown Yeshua to me. Thank you for our Rabbi David. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for him asking to get lunch with me that first day that I visited. He truly shows Yeshua to others. Thank you for everyone who serves, everyone who's, who's given their life to you, Lord. It's amazing. It's humbling. Lord, I pray that we can encompass you, that we can embody you in our lives. I pray that we can live lives that point people towards you. I pray that we can really understand your grace and your love for us this morning. Please help us to live lives after the calling you have given us. Thank you, Yeshua, for all you have done. Thank you for who you are. In Yeshua's name, amen.